Lord, how come ye here? Lord, how come ye here? Lord, how come ye here? I wish I never was born. There ain't no freedom here, Lord. I wish I never was born. They treat me so mean here, Lord. I wish I never was born. They sold my children away, Lord. I wish I never was born. Today I'm so thankful. Thankful for the spirituals that were born out of struggle. As I heard Marian Anderson, Kathleen Battle, Angela Brown and Jesse Norman sing this particular spiritual, it was clear that what was being put forward was a central idea going from slaves to free persons through song. Going back and remembering our history is integral to our progression as people. The spirituals represent a true statement and the uniqueness of the black struggle here in America. It reminds us of the subsequent contribution to, uh, to American music during this African-American Music Appreciation Month. Now they are sung all over the world, but in this moment they give me solace. They help me to reflect. They inform my prayers. They call me to action. Lord, how come me here? The words, direct and even accusatory of a singer's captors. Since the eruption of social unrest and the resistance and protest movement began, I've been thinking about this spiritual and the question it asks, why are we here? Why do people treat us so mean? Why do we have to feel like there's no freedom sometimes? One musician posits, since slavery, the black experience has been put beside the story of the Jews' exodus from Egypt and seeing the purpose of that story in the context of the Bible can serve as an answer. I think today we can take those two experiences and even connect them with whatever we're going through in our personal lives. Now, being a part of a liturgical church, I see the opening of this gospel reading as an emblem of where we are today. It cannot be overlooked. A simple reference to slave and master takes us back, takes me back to our nation's historical roots. Roots that have haunted our conversations on race since the formation of these United States. There seems to be a national outcry to now speak up and speak out. However, we've been doing this dance for 400 years. Did it take living through slavery, Jim and Jane Crowism, and nearly 5,000 lynchings that took place? Oh, but the lynchings never really went away. Did it take the deaths of Eric Gardner, Terrence Crutcher, Sandra Bland, Walter Scott, Akai Gurley, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd. 
Rashad Brooks, and so many more. Lord, how come me here? Was this the song of Hagar? Did she sing this same refrain? Is this why God heard her and her son and was attentive to him? Woman's theologian Dolores Williams, whom I had the privilege of meeting with and studying with at Union Theological Seminary, and she wrote about Hagar in her groundbreaking book, Sisters in the Wilderness, states black people used the Bible to put primary emphasis upon God's response to the community's situations of pain and bondage. The text says something to us about fear and worth. Hagar, the foreign slave girl, having been given to Abraham's oldest, having given birth to Abraham's oldest son, now has become a problem. God remains very present to them and in their lives, despite what the elites might think. Does God refuse God's promises to those who are not among the chosen? God does not. This story leads us to see how the gospel makes clear a point about the chosen of God. If we look closely, we will see that what is presented has more to do with calling than who has been chosen. Just as in the gospel, God sees their suffering. God's, God hears their cries. God hears the cries of the outcast and the abandoned. God hears and has compassion. Just as the name of Hagar's son suggests, God hears. It is because of this, God uses them as a part of redemption's story. Just as Jesus reminds the disciples not to be afraid, the angel of the Lord speaks to Hagar and says what angels always say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid though things seem hopeless. Do not be afraid, take the child in your arms. Do not be afraid, I have heard his cries. Do not be afraid, I will save him and will make of him a great nation. God opens Agar, Hagar's eyes to see a well of water nearby. In the public discourse, we need to see a well of water. Many of us might feel that we are tired and thoroughly broken now. It's been reported that 50% of people feel isolated and angry and lonely. All of this as a result of COVID-19. Now these feelings have been compounded by social unrest. We can understand why early Christians would see themselves as vulnerable, minority in a hostile culture. The followers of Jesus, such as those in Matthew, would likely find comfort in the reminder of God's care for them. We too need this reminder. I want to preach a message of peace. Unfortunately, the gospel message doesn't always work that way. The message doesn't always give us the warm fuzzies. Not everyone will agree with the message. Not even everyone in our families. The message Jesus preached can and does divide homes and families, and for that matter, even churches. This is the cost of discipleship. To be a disciple has always been difficult. 
So how do we remain true to the message? When our natural inclination is to keep the peace and not rock the boat. How do we stand firm when such a stand puts us at odds with friends and family? The disciples are to overcome fear of death with fear of God. Disciples are in danger, not from human judgment, but from God's judgment. Not from the decay of their bodies, but from the eternal decay of their souls. Anyone who fears God is no longer afraid of people. Daily reminders of this statement were invaluable for the slaves during their struggles and lives on in the spirituals even today. Jesus says here that a disciple isn't above the master. If the master suffers, therefore the student suffers. We who stand on this side of Easter know that the path that Jesus took provoked not peace but division. He may not have taken up the sword, but the sword was put to him. He could have walked away, but he didn't. He stayed on the cross and demonstrated that the pathway of discipleship would be costly. Living as we do in an increasingly polarized nation where it is difficult to work together to accomplish anything of value for the people, we need to be discerning as to where our call to discipleship leads to division. When division comes, and yes, it will come, may it be for the right reasons. As a late president once said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Although we find that in scripture, yes, when Abraham Lincoln gave that speech, he had in mind the American reality that the nation was divided by slavery. Unless we, in a sense, take up our cross, we cannot begin to comprehend the way of Jesus who took up the cross. This is the first time that Matthew in this gospel mentions cross. And it is not in direct reference to Jesus crucifixion, but as a prerequisite to follow him. For those who might think that discipleship can represent part, but not the whole of one's life, Jesus offers a harsh word for those accepting this comprehensive calling for such a costly sacrifice. Matthew remembers people who abandoned home and family to announce the reign of God in a time and a place where that could get a person killed. Yet that sentimentality bears a certain truth that merits exploration, even in our society where religion is so faithful, discipleship does occasionally provoke resistance. Some among us do protest militarism. Some speak out against de facto segregation in our communities. Some express solidarity with gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender persons. Those persons whom God continues to recognize. We recognize where the gospel calls us beyond the zone of comfort into the realm of risk. Three times in this gospel story, Jesus tells the disciples not to be afraid. Why should they be afraid? 
He has just told them that they are sheep in the midst of wolves. He has just told them they will be flogged and arrested. They will be betrayed by family members. They will be hated by others. And Jesus tells them not to be afraid. Yes, fear is a powerful motivating force. To be clear, this text was a common one regarded by slaves as they tried to navigate their bondage. I'm aware that it was problematic for my ancestors. They had daily reminders of what fear looked like. They were constantly living with the trauma of fear each and every day. They were acutely aware of fear, its look, its smell, its taste on a daily basis. Fear. It cannot control our words and our actions. Yet the text tells us it should not control the actions for those who trust God. Through this gospel, God alone, therefore, is the one we should fear. We are being reminded we cannot limit God's mercy. God hears the cries of the abandoned. God hears the cries of the outcast. God hears the cry of the oppressed. And God saves. Lord, how come me here? Who are the chosen? The chosen people are called to high standards and to difficult trials. They are blessed in order to be a blessing. It is not an easy thing to be chosen according to the biblical witness. It is both a privilege and a great responsibility. This is why we are here. This is why we are living in this time. This is what protest is about. This is why we are called to take on the challenge of being vulnerable and speak against unfairness, oppression, and injustice. Lord, how come me here? This is the call to discipleship. We are the called. This is why we are here.